And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. Good morning, everyone, and once again, welcome to New Covenant Online Version. Uh, Looks like we're going to be doing this this way uh, for the next uh, few weeks anyway. If you're like me, you're probably getting very anxious for the day that all of us can be together again under one roof and worship together and be in service together. Uh, We're all waiting for that. We're all anxiously anticipating that. We don't know exactly when that will be. But in the meantime, we can be very thankful that we have uh, this venue, this opportunity to be able to do service online. And so once again, we're very glad that you've chosen uh, to join us today. And of course, we hope that we're all doing the same things that we need to do to help uh, mitigate this virus by keeping our distance, doing the, the social distancing thing, washing our hands. Saw a couple of really good videos. Uh, there's a remake of the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, that is now I Want to Wash My Hands. Pretty clever. And also, for those of you that haven't, you just can't get enough of Baby Shark. There's a new Baby Shark video, Wash Your Hands, do 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 it's pretty cool. Uh, just kind of remind people what to do. And the greatest thing I think we can do is to pray, to believe that God can bring a swift end to this, <clears throat> excuse me, not just in our nation, but around the world. A lot of people are suffering. And of course, as believers in Christ, we don't want to see suffering. We don't like that. And so we want to pray that God would bring a swift end to this. Pray for the people on the front lines, the nurses and doctors that are working with this. And keep focus on the fact that God is greater than anything that could come against us or come against our world. So when we do these things, I believe that we have an opportunity to change the picture of what things are looking like in our world. Um, you know, we're talking about last words in our, in our series, and I want to get, just get right to that today as we talk about last words. Um, you know, there's something about, sometimes we just want to have the last word in a conversation, you know, because that last word is kind of what sets the tone and leaves that conversation um, with a certain thought or a certain tone. Uh, last words are very important, and the ability to have a last word in important issues can be very valuable and very vital. I think of a couple of stories. One of them is um, the wife of the late evangelist Billy Graham, his wife Ruth Graham, who passed several years before he did. Um, she, she and her husband Billy were traveling Uh, driving, and they went through some road construction, and on the other side of the road construction, there was a sign. And that sign, as she read it, had a deep impact in her thinking, because it seemed to relate to her life. It seemed to relate to how she felt about herself. And so when Ruth passed away, she had this phrase put on on her tombstone. Her epitaph is, end of construction, thank you for your patience. That was her last word, that her life had been a work in progress. Her life had been a construction project, something that God was building. And when God's building something, you know, the people around us sometimes need to have some patience. So that was her last word, uh, if you will. End of construction, thank you for your patience. I also think of um, Jacob, or his name was changed to Israel. He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and the, uh, the leader of the Jewish nation during that period of time. And at, his, at the end of his life, in the end of the book of Exodus, the end of his life, he is... Um, with his uh, people, I'm sorry, the end of the book of Genesis, he's with his people, he's with his family, um, and he's in his very last moments of life, and he musters the strength to sit up on the edge of his bed, and he has all of his 12 sons come in, and he, he speaks a word to each one of his 12 sons, a, a specific 
uh, individual word to each of his 12 sons, a last word, if you will, to each one of them that kind of set the tone for their lives, a prophetic word of what he saw in them, what he saw their tribe or their people doing. And he left that last word with them. And then the Bible says, after he had spoken the last word to his last son, he gathered his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered with his ancestors. And that was the end of his life. But he spoke a word. He left a last word behind that would make an impact on the people that were there with him, on his family and on the future. So we turn to the last words of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. And when we think about this, the, the last words of Jesus on the cross, um, they're so important because they leave a lasting legacy of what was in the heart and the mind of Jesus in the very moment when he was actually making the sacrifice for the sins of the world. While he was actually in the process of purchasing redemption, while he was in the process of laying his life down as the sacrifice that would forgive sins and change people's lives, he spoke. And the words that he spoke carry great weight even today. They echo through the halls of history and they hit us today with the same power that he spoke them with all those years ago. In the very hour of his sacrifice, he spoke something that would have a lasting legacy for his people. Jesus came to earth for one purpose. His purpose was to give his life as a ransom. As some have said, he was born to die. His life was given to him as a means of making atonement for the sins of the world. Of course, his final word was his resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had the final word over death, hell, the grave. He had the final word over all things, and of course, we celebrate that. But the things that he says from the cross, everything from Father, forgive them, to today you will be with me in paradise, to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. I thirst. It is finished. All the words that he spoke and the ones that we'll look at today they all reflected the heart of Jesus in that moment. They show the compassion and the grace that Jesus offered to a broken world as he hung there on the cross as the sacrifice for sin. As I said, they still have significance in our lives and in our day and in our world today. And so let's look at uh, the last of these words from the cross. Uh, of course, next week is Easter, and Pastor Josh will be so, uh, sharing a great Easter message, and we'll have a great Easter celebration um, together separately, and that'll be a great time. But this last word comes from Luke chapter 23, and verse 44 through 49. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. You know, this entire storyline has often been called the greatest story ever told. And I think as we look at this part of this story, we might call the crucifixion the great drama of the ages. And what I mean by that is it's the playing out 
of a magnificent storyline, the story of the sacrificial lamb, the savior of the world, fulfilling his mission and offering humanity a new hope and a new way to live. When Jesus crossed that border from life to death, he opened a door that no one could close. He opened a door of grace. He opened a door of forgiveness. He opened a door of redemption. He opened a door of compassion. He opened a door of acceptance. His passing from life to death opened a door that allowed you and me to have access into the very presence of the Father. He opened a door into the heart of the Father for this world. Something that man could never have known apart from this event, the greatest drama of the ages. So the scriptures tell us that Jesus was crucified. It's just a word, crucified. But the full depth and meaning of that word is such a process. It's a process of humiliation. It's a process of execution. And Jesus willingly surrendered himself to this process of crucifixion on our behalf. And so in today's text, he's hanging on the cross. It's now noon. And let me just read that part of the text again. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed. Now, we'd already been there a while. In fact, we read in Mark 15, 25, that it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus. So he was arrested in the garden. He was taken before Pontius Pilate. He was beaten. And then he was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. So a lot has already taken place on this particular Friday. And he comes to that point now where he's been hanging on the cross for three hours. It's now noon. And he's already been there for that period of time. And now a darkness comes over the, the land for three hours. And this darkness really speaks volumes about this particular crucifixion. You know, the Romans had crucified thousands and thousands of people. And it wasn't with every one of them that suddenly it became dark over the land. Sure, a storm may have passed through while someone was being crucified, but this is entirely different. This had never happened before. Something entirely different was happening. The sun's light failed. The voice that called for the sun's first light now hangs silently as darkness covers the world as he lays down his life. The darkness did not signify God's judgment or God's curse on a land or on a people. The darkness was a response to the events of that day. We might think of it this way. It was spiritual darkness's last moment before the light of God forever overcame that darkness. It was darkness's last hurrah, we might say. And that moment, the moment that Jesus hung there, it called for darkness. The, the, the drama of that moment demanded a dark set. And it goes on, it says in verse 45, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Again, something that had never happened. A curtain had hung in that temple. This is what's referred to as Herod's temple or the second temple era, which that temple was built in about 500 BC. It's now somewhere in the early 10s AD when this takes place. And so we have this, this curtain that's been hanging there for maybe 500 years or a curtain that has hung there for 500 years and perhaps they were replaced from time to time. But there's a whole lot taught about this curtain and what it means. But the basic teaching of this curtain is that it was a curtain that separated the outer court from the most holy place. Most holy place is the place where God said he would meet with his people. In fact, the most holy place we might think of as the very presence of God himself. In the Old Testament, 
Testament tabernacle, when the tabernacle was moving through the desert and traveling around, that, that holy of holies, the most holy place, was covered with a curtain. And even when Solomon's temple was set up, the holy place where the ark was, there was a curtain placed there. When the ark was stolen, the ark was no longer available, but they would still hang a curtain and call a place the holy place. And that's where they believed that God would meet with them. That's where God would come one-to-one and meet with them. And so the high priest, once a year, would go into the most holy place with the blood of a of sacrificial animal, and he would make atonement for all of the sins of the people for the entire year. And he would go in and make that atonement inside the veil, and he was the only one that could step into that curtain, and he could only do it once a year. And so there was a, a promise that God had made that he would meet with Israel right there, and he would, he would atone for the sins of Israel every time the high priest would bring blood into the most holy place. So the tearing of that curtain, suddenly that curtain is torn. I guarantee you there was never a crucifixion that took place that tore the curtain of the temple. This was something very unique, something very different. So from that moment, the most holy place was exposed. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us? From that moment when Jesus died, that curtain was torn and the most holy place was exposed. Let me see if I can answer it from some Bible verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. So friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God. Oh, I hear somebody shouting. Into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. Let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. This, this verse paints a picture of the curtain of the temple that separated the people from the presence of God now being replaced by the body of Jesus Christ. And that temple, that temple curtain being torn represents that now that Jesus' body has been broken, anyone now has access to the Father. As it says here, we can walk right up to God in the holy place. This is a new thing that Jesus did for us. The tearing of that curtain, God was indicating that an old order was done with no more animal sacrifices, no more once a year, the high priest taking in blood for atonement. God's presence was now available to everyone once and for all. The curtain tore because it was no longer needed. Jesus' body was now access to the throne of God. His broken body, his shed blood, what we celebrate every time we receive communion, what we commemorate, the fact that Jesus died, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. That's the tearing of that curtain that allows us into the very presence of God. His body was torn in order to allow access to God's presence. The curtain was torn as a signal or a symbol that everything had changed. Hebrews chapter 9 sheds a little more light on this. It says, For Christ didn't enter the earthly version of the holy place. He entered the place itself. He offered himself to God as a sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't do this every year as the high priest did under the old plan with blood that was not their own. If, he had, if that had been the case, he would have had to sacrifice himself repeatedly throughout the course of history. But instead, he sacrificed himself once and for all. He did it one time and he did it for everybody. Summing up all the other sacrifices in this sacrifice of himself, the final solution of sin. So God's presence is now available to everyone once, one sacrifice, once and for all. One sacrifice, and it's for everybody for, through the end of time. So what does that mean for us? Let me read it to you again in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at a few more verses here. 
In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been unified, excuse me, united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This is the message. This is the message of that great drama, the great drama of the ages. Sacrifice of Christ on the cross. This is what he's done. He's made an opportunity for us to be united with God. We were once separated by our sin, but now we have been united with him. And one more, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So all of these verses that we're reading, they're an encouragement to us that now that Jesus has done this, now that his body has been broken, the curtain has been torn, darkness has been defeated by the light of Christ and through his resurrection, now that this has been done, we have been given an invitation. In fact, we've been given a mandate to come into the presence of God with boldness, not cockiness in ourselves or what we can do, but boldness, a confidence in the fact that Jesus has paid the price, he's made the sacrifice, and we can now come into the presence of God. And in his presence, we can petition him for whatever we need. We can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. That's why I encourage us, even in this time, in this season that we're in right now in our world, that we have this wonderful opportunity of coming into the presence of God with boldness, not timidity, but not arrogance either, but coming in with boldness, knowing that Jesus has done something significant, significant for us. We see it in the darkened sky, in the torn curtains, and in the verses that we've just read, that God has done something unique through his son, Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that. But when we look at these verses and we, we break down, we extrapolate the truths of this great drama, we find that this was all done so that you and I can come boldly before the presence of a great God and petition him for everything that we need and find grace and find mercy to help us in our time of need. And as I said, we can do that globally. We can do that with global issues. We can do it with personal issues. The things that you might be going through today, maybe you're struggling because of the isolation. Maybe you're having anxiety or fear. We can come before God with those things. Maybe you're having worry. Maybe you're, you just don't know what the future is going to hold. It's causing some anxiety. We can come before God with these things. I tell you, God has a plan. He has this all figured out. And we have this wonderful privilege of coming boldly before his throne and finding grace. So the darkness came, the curtain was torn, and then we get to the point of my message today, the word. What did he say? It's in verse 46 of Luke 23. Jesus says, into your hand, I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Into your hand, I commend my spirit. Uh, another word in some of the translations, instead of commend, will say commit. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Uh, what it actually means is to entrust. Into your hands, I now entrust my spirit, or I entrust my spirit to you, Father. And so here again in this passage, Jesus is speaking with the Father, but he's speaking what's going on in his heart and his mind in that moment. He knew that his life was leaving him. The events of that day really didn't take him by surprise at all. He knew what his life was about from a very early age. He'd constantly talked with his disciples as he walked with his disciples about, I need to go up to Jerusalem and there I will be uh, crucified. I'll be executed. Um, I'll be turned over to the hands of the, the Jews and the Romans. And he, he knew what his future was. He knew what was going to happen. But he also knew what was on the other side 
of that passage. He would pass from life to death, and he also knew that resurrection life lived inside of him. Remember, he told Mary that when her brother had died and Lazarus had died, I am the resurrection and the life. He knew what the answer, what the end of this death would be, and it would be resurrection, and it would be power, it would be grace and life to the world. He knew this, and yet he says, Father, I entrust my spirit to you. And it wasn't just that he was entrusting his spirit to God. He had always entrusted his life to God. His entire life was entrusted into the hand of the Father. Everything he did, everything he said from his own admission was not his words. They weren't his deeds, but they were what the Father had instructed him, what the Father had given him. Look at it in John chapter 12. I'm not making any of this up on my own, Jesus said. The Father who sent me gave me orders. He told me what to say and how to say it. So Jesus is saying here, I've already surrendered my life. I've committed my life and trusted my life to the Father. Everything I say, I say because he has instructed me how to say it, and he's instructed me to say it. And so we see in that passage that his life had already been entrusted to the Father. Everything he did was from the Father. And of course, we know that. Let's look at John 14, one other passage. He said this, the words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I don't just make them up on my own. The Father who resides in me I love this part, crafts each word into a divine act. And all this crafting of the words that Jesus had spoken had now brought time to this one divine act. As Jesus hangs on the cross, the darkness comes, the temple curtain tears, and Jesus cries out, into your hands, Father, I commend, I commit, I entrust my spirit. This divine act would forever change what it means to be human His words and his actions were the Father's, he said. And so this act as he hangs there, as he gives his life, it's his surrender, it's his life, it's his will. He struggled in the garden. Would he go through with this? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He struggles with what he has to do, not just because he has to have the sin of the world piled on himself, but because he knows the Father needs to judge that sin in him. And so he comes to this place, and he hangs there, and he cries out into your hands, I commend my spirit. He places his spirit, his life, his eternal existence in the Father's hands. But he already knows his life is in the Father's hands. So why does he say it? It's like when he was praying, and he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me, although I know you always hear me. I'm saying it for those who are around. I thank you that you hear me. I think one of the things when he says, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit, is he's giving us a model. He's giving us guidelines that we can also entrust our lives into the hands of the Father. Was he really entrusting his spirit to the Father? Absolutely. He was absolutely trusting his Father. That I give my life into your hands. Let's fulfill this mission that we're doing together. Let's make sure that everything is accomplished. I put my life into your hands. Certainly, he was accomplishing this and speaking this from his heart to the Father, but he was also giving us a model. What do I mean by that? That moment, that darkness, that temple curtain torn, a crucified man commands his spirit to the Father and breathes his last breath. And we see in that an opportunity for us to be changed. I want you to see what it says in Luke 23, 47, that next verse. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. You know, it's interesting. We don't know anything about this Roman centurion. Here's what we know about him. He's a Roman, and he's in charge of 100 soldiers. And that's really all we know about him. We might assume, given the fact that he's there at the cross, 
that he had some part in the crucifixion. Perhaps he held one of the hammers or perhaps it was his soldiers that did so. But he had some part in this possibly. But he acknowledges the significance of the drama that has just played out in front of him. This was a Roman soldier who had probably seen many crucifixions. And he probably saw a lot of people crucified in his own mind thinking that really deserved to be crucified. But something captured this man's heart. Something captured this man's attention. And this, as this drama unfolded, suddenly he speaks this out. And he says, this was an innocent man. It was the crucifixion of an innocent man. All these words from the cross had an effect on the world around him in that day. And they continue to have an effect on this world. Because of what Jesus did, we can also commit and entrust our lives, our spirit, our body, our minds, our lives, our future, our hopes, our dreams. Everything that we are, we can entrust into the hand of the Father. Just as Jesus said, Father, into your hand, I entrust my spirit. We can today say, Father, into your hand, I entrust my spirit. I entrust my body. I entrust my life, my future, my dreams, my visions, my family. I entrust all that I have and all that I am into your hand because I know that you're capable of keeping safe what I commit to you. Jesus knew by com commending, committing, entrusting his spirit into the Father's hands that the resurrection would take place. He knew it would happen because he trusted his Father. As we entrust our lives to God, we can know that God has great plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says he has great plans for us to bless us, to give us a hope and a future, to do good things for us, not bad things for us. We should believe and hold on to that and come boldly before the throne of grace and in the, the name of Jesus Christ and because of his blood, claim that we can entrust God with our lives and that he has everything in our lives under control. Look at what... Um, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. This passage, Paul is speaking with great confidence. He says, I have an absolute assurance, I am persuaded, that what I've entrusted to God, he is capable, he's able to keep. He's able to keep it safe. He's able to hold on to that. When we commit our lives to him, he can keep our lives. He can keep us safe. He can keep us protected. When we commit our spirit to him, he can keep our spirit connected with him and on a path that helps us to learn and to grow and to more fully appreciate what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us. And that begins to change everything about our lives. Jesus died to change the world. We're part of this world. He died to change us so that our lives could be transformed, so that our lives could be eternally changed. When we commit our lives to him, when we trust him to keep us. He covers us. He keeps us. He protects us for his glory because we are his, because we belong to him. He will also use us to carry the message of his hope, his love, and his life to the world around us. When we entrust our lives to him, he not only blesses us, protects us, and keeps us, but he uses us as an example of what he can do with someone who yield to him, who entrust him, all because of what he did for us on the cross. On that day, the day of the great drama of the ages, when Jesus hung there and the darkness came and the curtain was torn, with, his, with a loud voice, with his voice lifted with all the strength he had, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. 
and then in that moment, breathe his last. For that moment. Until three days later, when breath again would come into his body and he would live again. This drama, this great storyline, the greatest story ever told, is the story of your life and my life. This is the story that changes us. This is the story that gives us hope in the midst of darkness to know there's a light that shines and there's a God that we can trust, that we can place our hands in him. And I want to give you that opportunity today. Maybe you're watching today and you've never made a decision to place your life into the hands of God, to entrust him with your life, with your spirit, with who you are, with your future, with what you want and with what he wants to do with you. I guarantee you God loves you. Jesus did what he did on that cruel cross. He suffered the humiliation and the pain because he loves you. He doesn't want you living in fear. He doesn't want you living in worry. He doesn't want your heart failing you and fainting because of the things that go on in our world. He wants you to come boldly into the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help you in a time of need. If you've never made a decision to entrust God with your life, to entrust your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity right now. So where you're at right now, in your own heart, just think this prayer. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for making a way into your presence. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, his body, now the curtain, that has been separated, that has been broken, that allows me access to your presence. And in your presence today, I thank you that as I entrust my life to you, you take my life and you direct it in the path that you've always desired for it to go. And we thank you for this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.